Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. go into part three of our uh, study we've been doing, uh, dealing with crises and where is God in my crisis. And um, if you missed part one and part two, I want to encourage you to go online to our website. You can listen to the podcast, uh, watch the live stream, and uh, I think you'll really benefit from it. It's been, a, it's been a big help to me. I trust it's going to be a good help for you. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up this series today, although there's so much more we could always talk about. So if you've got a Bible today, um, I'd encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Uh, if you don't, that's fine. We'll put the verses up on the screen. And I'll just tell you, today we've got a lot of verses to look at, all right? So we've got to kind of move quickly. We're going to just kind of pound through them. There was so much to look at. Um, I normally don't look at this many verses, but we've got a lot of verses to look at, and it's going to be, it's going to be really helpful to you. So we're talking about crisis, talking about dealing with crisis. Um, real quick review, some of the things we talked about was the difference between a crisis and just suffering. Um, we all have suffering. Suffering's a part of life. Uh, your car breaks. Um, you get the flu. You get a sore throat. Uh, whatever. You know, you get a sliver in your hand. Uh, we all have suffering. Uh, but that's not a crisis. A crisis is, a suffering's more when you can handle it on your own. A crisis, kind of as we're defining it, is more like when you need to bring in other people uh, to help you with it because it's a bigger deal. Uh, they're no fun to have a crisis. I don't want to have any crisis in my life. Uh, we, the reality is that there are going to be crises. Maybe you've, you've gone through a crisis recently, um, or you're going to go through a crisis in the future. Uh, the first week, we talked about dealing with health crisis. Uh, last week, as you remember, we talked about dealing with um, a crisis of the mind, which I kind of also rethought it a little bit as we talked last week, more a crisis of our faith sometimes that we kind of really wonder, did God really say that? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? You remember last week we talked about a guy named Abraham? You remember that? And his wife Sarah, interesting story in the book of Genesis. Uh, they're 75 years old. God says, you know, you're going to have a son. You're going to be the father of many nations. That's nice. In case you don't know, I'm 75. <laughs> and year after year goes by, and there's still no child. And just imagine what that was like. Um, you know, your mind games start a little bit. Well, did God really say this? Well, what are people thinking? Well, everyone's talking. I'm supposed to have this child. I said God said we're supposed to have this child. What's everyone saying? What's people thinking about me? And what happens in that crisis of their faith? Is they try to shortcut, right? We talked about that last week. Abraham's wife says, well, here, why don't you marry the maid? What? What kind of a weird story is this? You know? <laughs> okay, fine, we'll marry the maid. And we have Mary the maid, and then they have a child. Then what happens? Well, then Sarah's, Sarah, or Abraham's wife, Sarah, then they have conflict with the maid. Of course, we knew that was going to happen. She's now homeless. She's running off by herself, and single mom has to raise this child. Think of all the emotional baggage that we really don't read about in the story, but it's there. Think about all the employees. Abraham was a very wealthy man, had a lot of employees. Think about what they're all thinking. Well, there goes the maid off with his child, you know? Just think about what a mess that was. And 
And on top of that, you still don't have a child. And you're starting to wonder, you know, is God really real? Is God really true? Uh, is God what he said? Does it really matter? Is God still there? Does God still care about me? So it was a big deal. It was a real big deal. Having a crisis here, a uh, crisis of your faith, and, and what is God really saying? So today we're going to keep going in our study today. And uh, I kind of wanted to wrap this up with, with kind of answering the question, what, what would... What would Jesus do in a crisis? I mean, really, what did Jesus do in a crisis? What would Jesus do if there was a crisis? I mean, if Jesus was right here with us now, what would Jesus do? Well, uh, that kind of led me to a study that uh, I even was working on even this week with some other pastors, and we were talking about prayer. Um, and, and looking at this, all throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus, he bathed his entire ministry with prayer. And, and today, we're going to take not a complete look, but we're going to take kind of a flyover of just how many times Jesus prayed. Um, if you have your Bible, look in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we'll start off in verse 9. We'll put the verses up on the screen. The, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, that's the very beginning of his life in, in ministry, um, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. He was baptized of John and Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit uh, driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness, forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. So Jesus starts his ministry. Now think about this. What's the very first thing that Jesus does? Oh, we know what he does, right? He starts organizing. He gets a core group together. Uh, he starts raising some funds. He starts printing up some business cards. Uh, he puts all the, you know, the whole package together, and he's busy planning. No, what does he do for the first 40 days of his ministry? Well, if you look over at Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, here's another retelling of the story. Then was Jesus led up in the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days... 40 nights. So what was Jesus doing the first 40 days of his ministry? He was praying. He spent it in, in sincere prayer, so much so that he was actually fasting. And, 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 and Jesus made it really clear, this is what I'm supposed to do, and this is why I'm here. Let's look over at John chapter 5. Jesus explains it pretty clearly, why I'm here and what I'm doing. 5 verse 30, I came of mine own self I'm sorry, I can of mine own self do nothing, look at the end of that verse, but the will of the Father. I'm here not to do what I want to do, I'm here to do the will of the Father. We have, uh, we have a beautiful piano, Isaac does a great job playing the piano, and, and that piano was one of the pianos that was donated to our church. Um, let me see a raise of hands, let me just, I'm just curious, how many of you think that this piano sounds beautiful? Really? All right. Okay. All of you that raised your hand, ready? Let's listen. Do you hear anything? Personally, I don't think the piano sounds beautiful. It looks nice, but it's just a bunch of metal. It's a bunch of wood. It's a bunch of bolts. Does the piano sound beautiful? It doesn't sound beautiful. What sounds beautiful? What sounds beautiful is when someone sits down and what? Plays the piano. And this is kind of what Jesus, now remember, guys, we have to remember, Jesus is fully God, 
He's fully man. He's not 50% God, 50% man. He's 100% God, 100% man. How that works exactly, I don't know. But I do know this, that Jesus understood that, you know what? <laughs> kind of like I'm the piano, but I'm not here to play myself. I'm going to do what Jesus or God wants, the Father wants me to do. I'm going to let him work through me. And he does that, and we're going to see this today over and over and over again through the power of prayer. He's not for himself. John chapter 15, verse 5. I'm the vine. He's talking to his disciples. You are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do, what's it say, church? Nothing. Without me, your, your piano just sitting over there looks pretty. It's nice. But it's nothing. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Think about the prayer life of Jesus. And in the morning, rising up a great while before the day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there, what did he do? He did what? He prayed. Mark chapter 1, verse 36. Go down a little bit. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. Verse 37. And when they had found him, they said unto him, Oh man, look at these next five words. All men seek for thee. How did Jesus start his day? Go back. Look at that first verse. How did Jesus start his day? Look at verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before the day. Well, he started his day by depending on his heavenly father. What's, what's the great time before the day? Well, let's say sunrise. Is, I don't know what time is sunrise. 5, 530 right now? So what's a great while before sunrise? 3? 3, 3.34? I mean, that's a great while. That's how he starts his day. They finally catch up to him and they say what? He's praying until what? Until all the employees show up and say, we're all looking for you and, 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 and we need you and you're supposed to be here. Jesus started his day very clearly with prayer, depending on the Father, and that's how he did his ministry. You know, a lot of times we have a tendency to do good things, but we do them without the Father's leading. We do them without God's guidance and direction. It'd be real easy to get up and teach a Sunday school class without praying about it first. It'd be real easy to get up and sing in the choir without praying about it first. It'd be real easy for me to come up and preach without praying about it first. It'd be real easy for you to go to work tomorrow and deal with your employees and your employers without praying. The devil loves it when we try to do God's will without praying because then who's doing it? We're doing it, right? If we're doing it in the flesh, is it God working through us? It's it's us working through ourselves, and it's real easy for us to do a lot of good things, because we can do good things. But we've got to rely on, on the Father, say, God, God in heaven, I need you X, Y, Z, all day, every day, 24-7, and to always make sure that we're bringing it to the Father in prayer. Jesus starts off the day early, and he's praying, and finally, the disciples are saying, all men are looking for you, come on, let's go. He was ready for that, because why? He had already been in prayer, probably a couple hours. I mean, I'd have to understand that. It's the way it says it. Mark chapter 1, verse 23. Take a look at this. He's going about his daily work. Jesus is doing the daily work. And they were in the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Now think for a moment. Jesus is there in the synagogue. There's a lot of other people that are probably speaking, rabbis and so forth speaking. This man didn't cry out until when? Until Jesus got up to speak. Why? Because I believe that there was authority and there was empower in what he said. Why? Because he had started off the day speaking to his heavenly father. 
He was in tune with what his father wanted. Go down to verse 32, skip down there. And at the even, or at the evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. So he's been busy day. He's been teaching in the synagogue, casting out devils, healing uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And then it's all the way to the end of the day, and all that were diseased, all that were possessed with devils. Look at verse 33. And all the city was gathered together at the door. Do you think that there was a lot of pressure going on in his life? Has this ever happened to you? I mean, have you ever gotten home and all the city is at the door needing you? Sometimes it feels like it. Now, we, we, now we, we have two boys, and when they were little, I, I felt like the two boys were all the city. Like, you know, like everywhere. Wow, you guys need so much. Can you just sit down for a few minutes? And he healed many that were sick of, of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Now look at the next verse. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed in salary place and there prayed. <laughs> we're back there again. So there he's praying, and he's making it really clear. That's how he starts the day. The whole city's there, and yet he doesn't miss that day. He doesn't skip that time. He prays. He does nothing except by prayers. And, and there's lots of stories of him doing great miracles and, and casting out devils. He does it there. This is interesting. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, look at verse 27. Here's a story about him casting out a, a demon, casting out a devil. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. He just cast out a devil out of the sky. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? So how did, how did you do that and we didn't do it? What, what are we missing? Verse 29. And he said unto them, this kind comes forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. You know, I think sometimes we read that story and we kind of feel like Jesus is rebuking the disciples. Yeah, well, you're doing it wrong. I don't know if he's so much rebuking the disciples as if he's just kind of telling them, don't take this lightly, but kind of telling them trick of the trade. He's kind of just saying, oh, you guys couldn't cast out this devil? Yeah, I'll just tell you. That kind of devil? Yeah, it's only cast out by prayer and fasting. I'm just telling you. That, that's, what, that's what's needed. <laughs> I mean, is it kind of just like he's giving them a fact? Kind of. Like, okay, yeah, you guys want to cast out that kind of a devil? Yeah. Only way you can do it is through prayer and fasting. That's all you can do. There, there's, no, you know, there's nothing else. You, just, you get more prayer and more fasting. And I think Jesus depends on it every day. He depends on it. We see it all through his daily work. We see it, we see it all through his ministries. Every time he's healing someone... Luke chapter 5, go over there, Luke chapter 5, verse 15. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and everyone knows about him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. So there he is on another day, and there's great multitudes, and they're around asking, Help me. We need money. We need healing. We need this. We need food. We need protection. Can you heal my grandmother? Can you heal my sister? Can you heal my brother? And, and he's, he's, he's surrounded by multitudes. And what does he do? That's good. I got to go over here and do what? I got to get up my organizer and I got to plan this. No. I got to pull away for a few minutes and I got to pray. I mean, in the middle of this, this fame, uh, in the middle of all the excitement, in the middle of, of the whole town coming to him, he pulls away to pray. Think for a moment, church. How many times do we withdraw ourselves to go pray from the busyness of the day? Excuse me, I need to go pray. I need to, I need to think about this. I need to pray. Now, guys, 
we're not talking about the prayer life of Paul. We're not talking about the prayer life of Peter. We're talking about the prayer life of Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. And he's got to get away from the crowd. I need to go pray. <laughs> There's a crisis going on, a crisis of popularity, a crisis of fame. And I've got to get away. I've got to, I've got to pull myself away. I've got to withdraw from the people, and I've got to pray. And every moment that Jesus was doing something, it seemed, whether it's going good or it's not going good, it just seems like Jesus is always depending upon his prayer life and what's ever happening. He seems like he makes every decision in prayer. Luke chapter 6. Let's go over there and take a look at that. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 6. Look at verse 12. It came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. So what does he do all night, church? What's he doing? He's praying. He's fully God, but he's also what? He's fully human. Okay? Okay, so that's verse 12. What happens in verse 13? Sometimes we don't tie these things together in context. And when it was day, so that's the daytime, he calls unto him his disciples, and of them, what does he do? He chooses the twelve. So before he, he, he hires an employee, eh, that's kind of the wrong way to say it, but before he gets the disciples going, he just spent all night in prayer praying about which disciples. You ever think about that? Put that in context. The next time you hire someone, the next time you fire someone, the next time you have a, a meeting with one of your employees, the next time you, you, you think about you know, serving in a ministry or who's going to serve in a ministry or what's going to happen or, or is this the ministry you should serve in, Jesus spent all night praying about decisions that he should make. Wow. Uh, whoa. Okay. Don't you just, I, I kind of just think like, well, he just knew who to pick. Yeah, he, he knew who to pick after he spent all night praying about it. Right? It, just, it, just, it wasn't just magic. How about this? Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Look at this. Look at verse 19. Now, uh, for my quick study, and I'm probably not fully thought through all that, but it seems like just about every time there's a miracle listed, prayer is somehow associated with it. And maybe that's not 100% listed in the Bible, but it's an awful lot. Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 14, verse 19. And he commanded the multitude to sit down in the grass and took the five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he, what? What did he do? He blessed it. This is the feeding of the 5,000. The first thing he does, he does what? I'm going to pray for this. And break and gave the loaves to the disciples and the, and, and the disciples to the multitude. So, so Jesus is there. He's submitting to God in prayer for the miracle. And what happens next? Go down, look at, well, yeah, look at verse that's 19. Look down to verse 22. The next thing, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So he gets the, the loaves and the fishes, he spends time praying, they break it, they feed the, feed the thousands of people. And the next thing he does is he sends the disciples out into a ship and then he sends the multitudes away. Look down at verse 23. Again, let's put it in context. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to do what, church? To have dinner himself, to go to Chick-fil-A, to get a snack. No, I got to get away from everybody and I have to spend some time praying. And when the evening was come, he was there. Who was he by? Who was he with? What's it say? He was what? He was alone. Now, this is interesting. Verse 25, in context. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went into them walking on the sea. 
Did you ever think about this? Now just, just kind of put this in context. He's with all the people. He sends the people away. He feeds the people. He gets alone and he prays all night. He sends the disciples away and he spends time praying. And the next thing we see him do is what? We see him walking on the water after the disciples in the middle of the storm. Did you ever just think for a moment? Who told him to go out in the sea and to walk on the water? Who told him to calm the storm? How did he know to do that? Well, he's Jesus. He just knew. Or the fact that he just spent we don't know how long, but probably a few hours praying. His father probably led him, like, listen, you need to go get the disciples. You need to walk on the water. And when you're out there, you need to calm the storm. What prompted him to do this? Why didn't Jesus just walk to Capernaum? What, what, what made Jesus go out into the sea? How did Jesus know that they were still out in the sea? How did he know all that? Who told him to do that? Who told him to calm the storm? I believe in his submission to his heavenly father. His heavenly father is the one that guided him and led him to do that. What, what, it's listed right there together. What about, what about this miracle, a real popular miracle of Jesus raising someone from the dead, his best friend Lazarus, you know the story, has died and he's been in the grave a few days and so bad that the body smells. John chapter 11, verse 41, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 11, verse 41, he's there at the graveside and they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, so what does he pray? I thank thee that thou hast heard me. What's implied, church? God, I'm thankful that you heard me. So what's implied? I've been talking to you. Thank you for listening. I've been praying. Of course, we know what happens in the story. We know that Lazarus comes back to life. But look at the next verse. Verse 42 is kind of interesting. He's still, he's still praying. He's still talking to God. And I know that thou hearest me always. Because the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. <laughs> I, I just kind of think that's kind of an interesting thing. It, he's having a really intimate conversation with his father in heaven. And what's he say? He said, yeah, I, I, know, you heard, I know you always hear me. I get it. But you know what? It's because the people that I'm around, I want to make sure that they knew that you sent me. <laughs> he's, he's literally just talking to his father in heaven just as if he was standing right there next to him. And I just want to, you know, just, just telling you, thanks for listening and the reason I did it was just I want, I want people to know that, you know, I'm here because of you. <laughs> so he prayed, of course, all through the Bible. You could look at all through the New Testament. He prays and prays and prays and prays and prays and prays. So that kind of led us to the thought about this. So what is Jesus doing now? Well, did you ever think about, well, where is Jesus right now? Where is he? Someone shout it out. Where is Jesus right now? Right. He's in the heaven, right? Right hand of Heavenly Father. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, go down to verse 25. What is Jesus doing right now? Well, this tells us what he's doing right now. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the othermost that comes unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is alive right now, and what is he doing? He's praying for us forever. That's crazy. I mean, that's what he's doing. Which means what, church? Which means that Jesus prayed for you today. He's an avid in the presence of God praying for you and you and you and me right now, praying for us. That, that's amazing. Uh, don't you just think God's in heaven, Jesus is in heaven. Whew, I get to take a break for a little bit. No, 
I know what's already going to happen. No. I already know the future, he says. I already know what's going to happen, but I'm still going to spend time praying for you to the Father in heaven because you need prayer today. Jesus is praying right now, making intercession for us in heaven. So church, back to our series. When we face a crisis, when there's a health crisis, a family crisis, a financial crisis, what do you think the first thing that Jesus would do? What, just someone, based on what we just looked at, someone throw out a wild guess. What do you think Jesus would do in the midst of a crisis? Exactly. What do you think, church, in the midst of a crisis, if we want to be like Jesus, what do you think the first thing we should do? Pray. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> this was not an exhaustive list of all the times uh, Jesus prayed. So, so then people say, well, pastor, what do I pray for in a crisis? All right, why don't you take some notes on this? Huh. I said all that to preach this. Here we go. <laughs> you guys looking at your watch going, are you kidding me? No, I'm not. <laughs> what do I pray? Well, in a crisis, here's some things you can pray for. I think there's a longer list in the Bible. I'm sure there's more things to pray for, but here's some things I'd pray for in a crisis. First thing I'd do, I'd pray for wisdom. In any crisis, I'd, I'd just ask God for wisdom. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. God, I'm not praying my mind what I want, but God, I'm asking you. I'm not even sure what to ask you. So God, I'm just asking you what I should even be asking you for. I, I just need help on this. In any crisis, Lord, I am praying that, that, that I'll, I'll, I'll have wisdom and have an opinion and have an idea what to do. Lord, give me wisdom. You pray in a moment of crisis, God, give me wisdom. And you ever have it? I have this. And a verse comes back to mind. You're like, I haven't, I, I forgot that verse. I mean, I guess I learned that in Sunday school when I was 10 years old, and all of a sudden that verse comes back to mind. Well, who is that? Is that, is that the devil doing that to you? No. It's God's spirit working through your life. You just prayed for wisdom, and there's that verse that pops up. You're praying for wisdom, and, and, and there you feel that conviction, well, I should do that, or, or, or I shouldn't do that. I'd pray for, for not only what to say, wisdom what to say, wisdom what to say and what to do, but how about this, church? I'd pray for what not to say and not to do. <laughs> Dear God, guard my mouth. That's one that I need to pray more. <laughs> God, would you just help me to just shut my mouth? Those of you that were here Friday night in our Simple Steps program, I love our Friday night program. If you, if you or someone you know struggles with something, I, I sincerely want to invite you to join me on Friday nights, okay? Um, I, I, I really enjoy our time together uh, on Friday nights. I spoke on Friday night. Uh, we kind of alternate speakers, and Friday night was my turn to speak. And those of you that were here, you heard my recent story of a time that I had to pray, dear God, help me to shut my mouth. Now, some of you are wondering, does the pastor really have to pray that? Oh, yeah, the pastor has to pray that. Absolutely. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. Um, pastor, what is it that you had to pray for? I'll tell you what. Just go online, listen to the message from Friday night, and you'll hear my story about a time this past week. I had to say, God, guard my mouth. Give me wisdom in what not to say. It was bad. <laughs> Second thing I'd pray for in a crisis is this. The only way I pray for wisdom, I'd pray for strength. The psalmist prayed for strength. Psalms chapter 119, verse 28. My soul melts for heaviness. Strengthen thou me 
according to thy word. Pray for strength in your, in, your, in your mental thought life. Pray for strength in your mind, in your will, in your emotions to have clarity in all those areas. Pray for strength in your body, your soul, and your spirit just to, to be renewed in our spirit. Don't forget, church, we're in spiritual warfare. Don't, don't ever forget that. Sometimes we just get complacent. We just think, well, it's just the way it is. Well, sometimes it's just the way it is, but a lot of times, don't forget, we're in spiritual battle, church. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. <laughs> this Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but it says we're in a spiritual battle. And then I stay up too late, doing nothing, watching television or whatever, and I get up in the morning and I don't have time to pray. But my Bible says your day is going to be full of not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. Church, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be in shock at the spiritual battle. And we're going to be like, I didn't even arm myself for five minutes in prayer. And I wonder why my day was so hard. I wonder why there were so many crises. Listen, if there's, if there's chaos in life, just remember this. There is a spiritual battle, and there is darkness, and there is a dark side, okay? When there's chaos, I'm just convinced that Satan is always involved. Why? Because God is not the author of chaos. When we hear in the news the last couple of weeks, or last couple of years, about the chaos with all the riots, how can it be so dark? I'll tell you how it's so dark. It's a spiritual battle, and, and the devil's involved. We hear about school shootings and, and shootings at banks and shootings at different places and shooting at bars. and where, where is God in that? I'll tell you who's the author of that chaos. It's the devil himself. It's dark, church. It's really dark out there. When you hear about chaos and you hear about crazy stuff like that happening, don't, don't put off for a minute that the devil's not involved in that. Pray for grace. How about this? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Pray for grace. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We pray that we can find God's grace to help us in a time of need. His grace is his strength, it's encouragement that's beyond what I can muster up. It helps me in the time of need, it helps me in the time of crisis. Dear God, I need your grace. How about this, church? I need your grace so that in the moment of crisis I can be gracious. Okay, When you're going through a crisis... Dear God, I'm praying for wisdom, but God, I'm also praying for grace. That in the moment of this time, this hard time I'm going for, I want to be gracious. It's better to ask God for his grace that, that we just learn to take the high road in the moment of crisis. And one of the things that when I do a lot of counseling, and I counsel a lot when people are in crisis mode, and I just always try to encourage them, take the high road, okay? You can take the low road, but take the high road. And sometimes we just need God's grace to take the high road because on our own power, we just can't do it because that person did me wrong. This, this thing happened wrong. This wasn't fair. True. But you still got to take the high road. We still got to be gracious. We still got to pray for God's grace. It helps you get through those emotionally trying moments when you pray for God's grace. God, this is really a struggle right here. I need your grace. We pray for that. How about this one? I pray for courage. Psalms chapter 27, verse 14. Pray for courage. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. 
Wait, I say, on the Lord. So what does that, what does that kind of mean to pray for courage? Well, it means, it means in the moment of crisis, you're not scared to death, frozen solid, you can't do anything. But I'm engaging in prayer. I'm in fear and, and, and trepidation uh, in my life and in this crisis. And I ask God, God, give me the courage in the moment of this, this change that's taking place, this crisis. I need courage. Change takes courage, church. It does. Um, as we grow older, <laughs> all of us are growing older, um, the older we get, the more adverse we are to risk and to change. We don't like change. Why don't we like change as we get older? Because we know what's safe and we know what works. Um, how many of you, and, and just think about this, how many of you remember going out to eat with a grandma or a grandpa and and you wanted to go, as a young person, try a new restaurant. Hey, there, here, there's a new restaurant in town. Let's go try it. And grandma and grandpa said, no. We always eat at, you know, Bob's Diner. Because why? Because I know Bob, and I know the cook, and I know what's on the menu, and it's going to be safe. And I'm afraid if I go to this new restaurant, I won't know what's on the menu, and I won't like it. And, and you know, I'm going to pay all this money, and I don't know how much it costs. And there's a lot of change involved. And I know that sounds really simple and really silly, but that's kind of how life gets. It's just... It says we sometimes just don't like change. In those moments of change, we got to just be praying, dear God, dear God, would you work through me? Would you help me? Would you give me courage to face this change? Because why? It's a change. And the older I get, I just like less change. It's just, it's hard. It's just, it's just tough. And a lot of times we don't like change. Um, and it's something we've got to pray. God, there's, there's change in life. There's, something's different. And he's got to pray for courage to get through it. There's things that we pray for. And God, help me to just accept that change. So, church, I hope you wrote down. There's, there's a few things, three or four things I just listed there. Um, there's probably 10 or 20 things the Bible says that we're supposed to pray for. But I know this. There is no crisis that any of us will go through that God can't see us through. How? Through prayer. That's how Jesus dealt with crises. If Jesus was alive today, this is how he'd deal with crisis. And according to the Bible, for the rest of eternity, he'll be praying for us not to go through a crisis. Or when we go through a crisis, how to deal with a crisis. What would Jesus do in a crisis? Well, the same thing he did in a crisis, the same things we should be doing. We spend time in prayer. The most powerful thing that we have is prayer. I, you know, I know this. I know when I get to heaven, uh, when, I, when I die in this earth and well, the rapture comes, I... I'd rather it be the rapture than dying. Anybody here all for that? How many of you would like the rapture to show up? Okay, good. Let me ask this question. How many would like the rapture to show up today? Okay, now how many wish it would come in a couple weeks or a couple months? Just curious. <laughs> Why would you want to stay here? I don't know. Um, I know this. When I get to heaven, I, I personal conviction on my part, I think will be this. I think, I, think um, I don't know if I said I'd be ashamed, but I think, I think I'll regret not having prayed enough. And I think that'll be one of the biggest things for my personal life will be a personal regret of, I did it in my own strength, I did it in my own power, I, I did it without prayer, and I think we'll see the reality of a spiritual battle and be like, you know, whatever. You, you got this far in life, great, but had you prayed, you would have got that far. Life was this hard, right, but had you prayed, there would have been more grace, there would have been more courage, there would have been more strength, there would have been more peace. So I just know that'll be a regret on my part. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you personally, Having studied this and having worked on this series, I, I've just really been committed, my wife too, we just got to pray more. We just, 
we have to make time just to pray more. Jesus, you know, Jesus could find time. He starts a worldwide ministry with 12 disciples, and he's got three and a half years, and he found time to go pray. Well, if Jesus can do it, I think, you know, Dan Rehoff can find time more to pray. You know, pray for a parking spot. Pray when you get up. Pray when you go to work. Pray when you don't know what to pray for. Pray when you go to the gym. Pray when you go home. Pray when you're with your family. Don't just pray before the meals. Pray when you, you got to get outside, you got to cut the grass. I don't know. Pray when you got to do your landscaping. Pray when you're, you're, out, you're out exercising. Pray when you're going for a walk. Just talk to God. Just spend time in prayer. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer where you've got your Bible and your notepad and you're on your knees. It can be that. But you just spend time praying. I know Dr. Scudder, growing up, Dr. Scudder would always pray for a parking spot. I don't know why. I, guess, I don't know if he didn't want to walk far or what it was, but dear God, help me to find a good parking spot. And he'd always get like a really good parking spot. I just, he'd, but he'd pray for it all the time. So just think about that. When is it that I could be praying? I could be praying more, and there's some things that you can pray for in the midst of the crisis. God, these are some things I need help with, and I need them right now. But don't wait. Don't wait until a crisis to, to be comfortable with praying. Spend time praying all the time, because you've either been through a crisis, you're going through a crisis, or God forbid, you're going to go through a crisis, and you need to be ready, you need to be prayed up, you need to be ready for God's power and God's courage and God's strength to help you for whatever's coming tomorrow or next week or next month or next year, okay? Because it's, it's the reality of life. So, I hope that's a help to you. I hope that it's been, it's been a blessing to me to study this. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Um, and, uh, and just keep those things in prayer. Listen, I want to say this too about prayer. Thank you to all of you that pray over there at the wall, um, <laughs> at the wall, uh, the come and see wall. You've been writing down names of people you'd like to see to come to church. It, those markers are over there. If you want to add someone's name to that wall, you just, you just do it. You don't have to ask permission. You can take that marker and you can go over there and just write it down. But here's the deal. If you write someone's name down, you better get over there and you better pray for them. That's not the give the wall to Pastor Dan and that's his prayer list. I got my own prayer list, okay? If you write someone's name on the wall, spend some time praying for that person. At 9.45 on Sunday mornings, we get together in here and we pray, and you pray for 30 seconds, and you pray for five minutes, you pray however you want to pray, but pray for those people to come to know the Lord. Pray for those people to come to church. But you can start thinking about, who can I write on that wall? And you start praying for that. It's just a reminder. There's nothing magical about that wall. It's just a reminder. Why? Because I want everyone to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last time I checked, we're all going to die, right? And, and, and someday I'm going to die. My goal is just literally to bring as many people to heaven with me. That's, that's my goal. I'm going to heaven. I want to bring as many people as I can with me. That's, that's, that's my life goal. Well, share the gospel with someone this week. Pray for those people to come and hear the gospel. Okay, you could do that. What's the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. That God loved us so much, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay our sin debt. Why? Because we can't pay it for ourselves. We can't go to church, we can't work for it, we can't give money. The Bible says the cost of the bad things we've done is death. Someone has to die to pay your mortgage. And Jesus said, I'll do it, I'll hang on a cross, and, and I'll pay your mortgage for you, I'll pay the debt for you. And God said, all I want you to do is just believe. Believe that my son did it for you. It's good to go to church, it's good to stop smoking, it's good to stop drinking, yeah, 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 yeah. But that doesn't help you get to heaven. It, doesn't, it has nothing to do with going to heaven. Going to heaven is about who you placed your trust in. God, I'm a sinner. I can't pay it, but I believe your son paid it. He died on the cross. He rose again, and I'm trusting in what Jesus did to pay my mortgage for me. That is the good news of the gospel. Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, 
I encourage you to do it today, okay? We're out of time. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, it's good to be here today. Lord, maybe someone right now in the quietness of their mind, right where they're seated, is thinking they don't know for sure about their eternity. I ask, Lord, that you would work in their heart right now, help them to understand that Jesus Christ paid their debt for them and that they can know for certain they have eternal life by accepting the fact that Jesus died for them. It's personal. And maybe in the quietness of their mind, they say a prayer, something like this, Dear God, I realize I'm a sinner, but God, I can't pay my sin. And God, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again to pay my sin for me. I accept the fact he did it for me. Lord, if someone were to truly pray that and understand that and believe that in their heart, Lord, they will be a part of your family forever, never to be forgotten, never to be left behind. They have eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for that promise you've given to us in Scripture. Lord, I pray you'd help all of us to remember and to think about the importance of prayer. Jesus set quite the example, <laughs> quite the example about prayer. We need to start following that. Lord, would you convict us if, if we're not really spending time praying? Would you challenge each and every one of us? Start with the pastor and, and work in our hearts that we'd be a praying church. We'd be a praying church. Much prayer, Father, is much power. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.